You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Our focus, um, and we didn't play as well and actually let the other team get back in the game. So I think the lesson to be learned in all that is you got to maintain intensity for 60 minutes in the game regardless of the score. I mean, there's games out there every week where people have leads and, you know, lose their focus and, you know, the outcome is not, you know, what you would want it to be. So, um, you know, this game we're playing against Tennessee, big rivalry game, means a lot to a lot of people uh, in the state of Alabama, and I'm sure there too. Um, it's one of the best rivalries in college football. Uh, they have a really good team. They're ranked in the 15th or whatever, and uh, so they have a really, really good team, very explosive. You know, Josh Hypo has done, you know, an outstanding job there. you got to, you know, they play with great tempo on offense, which is challenging for the defense, but their ability to run the ball and create balance has been, you know, pretty phenomenal this year. I mean, they run it for like 230, pass it for like 210, whatever. Um, and that kind of balance is always something that uh, is difficult. Uh, their defense is playing really, really good. Uh, they're in the top three or four, you know, in the SEC, uh, ranked nationally and, you know, negative play, sacks, tackles for loss, um, you know, and those types of things. Uh, I think Joe Milton is a really good quarterback. They've got three really good runners who have all been very productive. Uh, they've got good skill guys outside. So this is, you know, all, all around, you know, a really, really, you know, good team. So it's important for us, you know, to have a great week of preparation and um, be able to maintain focus in practice, in meetings, uh, and whatever we're doing to be able to carry that forward in a game and be able to sustain it in a game for 60 minutes, which is what it's going to take in a game like this. Yeah, Tennessee, uh, their offense has been known to, to use a wide split with receivers. Um, what were some of the challenges of trying to cover that? Uh, well, you know, they certainly make you defend 53 yards wide of, of the field. And um, there's two challenges. You know, it affects run support in the box because the guys that are covering the receivers are so far away from the box. Uh, and um, it also, they run a lot of vertical routes from out there. So the people that are covering them get pretty isolated because they're far away from whether it's split safety or middle of the field safety. So um, it is it is very challenging. And, you know, the, the thing that I think is going to be really important is not to give up big explosive plays, which was, you know, a real issue for us a year ago. Katie, when dealing with freshmen that are getting significant playing time, what's the balance in being patient and letting them learn and grow and kind of knowing when it's time to get tougher on them? Yeah, well, I, I think that um, everyone's a little different, you know, when it comes to that. Uh, some guys are that even though they're young, they're very mature. Um, they handle um, their failures fairly well and learn from them. Uh, they're focused on, you know, not necessarily the outcome, but what do I have to do to get the outcome? And those guys seem to do pretty well. Um, you know, some guys that are young, good players, maybe lack a little bit of that maturity, 
you know, sometimes allow the success and the failure that they're having affect how they approach the next play. And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I try to harp on the players that, you know, baseball is a game of failures. So if you made two out of three outs in baseball, if you struck out two out of three times, got to hit the third time, you'd be in the Hall of Fame. So for young guys, they have to understand that if I can learn and grow from um, the mistakes that I make, not waste the failings, that um, that would be significant in me making improvement and developing. And, you know, that takes, you know, the right mindset. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the relative degree that young guys have in that area sort of determines how fast they improve. Come over here to Charlie. Hey, Coach, you mentioned the, the negative plays that Tennessee's defense can create. Just how important is it for the pass rush to clean up some of its issues with that? Well, it's very important. It's been important all year. Uh, and uh, it's something that, you know, we have to do a really good job planning-wise, and uh, we have to fundamentally play better. You know, it's a combination of both. And both those things are, you know, coaching and teaching things that we need to do better. Guys need to set better. Hand placement's got to be better. Footwork's got to be better. And um, we got to make sure whatever scheme it is. Bad position. Uh, what do you think of how Quandarius Robinson played on Saturday? Q played good. He played very well. Um, he's been a core special teams guy for us and one of our better special teams players probably ever, you know, here. Um, and when he had opportunities to play in the game, he did a good job. Going up against Joe Milton this weekend, in the beginning of the year, everyone was talking about he could throw it 80 yards plus, and, but now he could beat you with your legs as well. What are you telling your guys this week about a dual-threat quarterback like that? Well, I, I think I don't see, you know, Joe a whole lot different than, you know, what we played against in the past. Um, when Hooker was there, uh, guy can throw the ball. He's accurate. He's got a strong arm. I can make plays down the field, which, you know, they take a lot of vertical shots, and he certainly uh, has the capability of making those plays. But he's also athletic enough to extend plays in the pocket and uh, run uh, if necessary. So um, don't tell him anything different than any other time you're playing a quarterback. You can't get pushed by the quarterback. You got to keep the guy in front of you. You got to have disciplined pass rush lanes and got to try to make the guy throw the ball on time, you know, from the pocket. And hopefully we can cover him well enough to make it work in the back end. Chase. How have the freshman outside linebackers, Keon Keeley and Yonze Pierre, looked in practice this year? Um, you know, both of those guys came in the fall. Um, so. The guys that we only had four guys that came in the fall, and because those guys weren't here in the spring, they they you know had to try to catch up in the summer. You know, I think their learning curve has been a lot greater. Uh, we're pleased with the progress that they're making, but it's hard to get them enough reps at this time of the year to try to get them where they need to be so that they could you know make a contribution. You know, I think you know Russo was here earlier so 
he, he's a little bit ahead of the game. Rodak? Just what have you seen from J.C. Latham and what went into him staying on the right side whereas some guys might have made the move to the left previously? Um, well, he's really a good right tackle. He's played really well. Obviously, being SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week, he had a really good game in the last game. And, you know, he's big, strong, physical. He's the prototype, you know, right tackle that everybody would look for in terms of having a power guy who is effective, you know, in being able to pass block well enough. Um, you know, there's... You know, I, I, I guess you always hope that um, if we move the right tackle to the left tackle, that would make everything better. But I guess the question you have to also ask yourself is, would that make us any better at right tackle? Um, or do you just try to attack the solution of trying to get the left tackle to play to the standard that you need him to play without making multiple changes in the offensive line. So, you know, we could have a, a debate about that. Um, and nobody really knows the answer to that, but we, we, we have made a commitment to try to keep some stability with the guys where they're playing and get the guys to play uh, left tackle better. Go to Nick. You didn't have one? Okay. Uh, Cody, right here. Uh, Justice Haynes got a few snaps on Saturday. What, what was your assessment of just the limited time that he got? I played great. You know, he's been playing really well all year. Um, you know, so we, we, we've got four guys at the position, and, and all those guys deserve reps and playing time. And it's really, really hard to – um, get four guys at running back position to be in rhythm uh, and to play a significant number of snaps. So, you know, Jam played well when he was in there. Um, you know, Roy Dale and Jace both played really well when they were in there. And um, Justice played really good when he was in there. So, you know, we're pleased with all those guys. And you know, maybe there'll be some opportunity for him to make a bigger contribution in the future. Finish up two more, Tony, and then Kurt. After <clears throat> after going over the film, what led to the consistency in the running game, and then how do you kind of replicate that and continue that consistency moving forward? Well, um, we did run the ball better in the second half, but but to me. You know, the way I sort of evaluate it is what is the efficiency in the running game? In other words, how many four plus runs did you have versus less than four? And that, that's the, the efficiency that we continue to look for. And it was a lot better in the second half. I think we got a hat on a hat. Um, kind of knew exactly what they were doing, you know, formationally. I think the offensive line did a really good job. Um, you know, and creating some holes in the backs did a good job of running downhill. So that's the way we want it to be all the time. So, you know, we just got to keep working at it so we continue to develop consistency in that part of our team. Uh, yes, Coach. I understand your stance on sacks, but I wonder if, and I hope I'm not going over the same ground, but 
31 sacks so far this year, if that is concerning, and is that fixable at this time of the year? Well, um, to the first part of your question, I would say, hell yeah. Um, to the second part is, um, I do think we have guys that are capable. Uh, I think it goes back to that same attention to detail. I mean, there's little things like in certain protections, I know I have inside help. So why would I get beat outside? Does that make sense? So these are not all capability issues. You know, some of them are things that we could fix. Um, you know, when we're sliding out to block three on three and a guy doesn't slide out to block the third guy and he runs in and sacks the quarterback, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a mental error. That's not a physical problem. So it's a combination of all those things that need to get cleaned up with better communication, better execution, um, and maybe the more knowledge and experience that we get, the more we'll be able to be more effective and consistent in those areas. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thank you. Well, there you just heard from Nick Saban following the victory over Arkansas. I'm looking forward to the Tennessee weekend, which is just special all the way around from me to y'all to all Alabama and Tennessee fans. So anyway, let's take our first break of the day and remind you that Big Noon Sports is being presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. And when we come back, we will discuss the weekend's festivities at homecoming at the Capstone. Maybe dip into Auburn. Not then. We'll do it sometime during the show. And uh, then bottom of the hour, Jeff Spiegel, who was just in attendance there at the Malmore football facility, he'll join us. And at 1 o'clock, we're going to change the sport just a little bit. Talk some basketball with Andy Kennedy. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Hi. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cool, breezy afternoon with a partly sunny sky, the high today 62. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 44. A warming trend tomorrow and Wednesday, the sky's sunny both days. The high tomorrow is 67, Wednesday's high 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 61 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed, it is Big Noon Sports. Thanks for joining us. Justin Jones, Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson, talking about Alabama's holding off of the little piggies. Actually, they were Razorbacks in the second half. Don't know where Alabama was. There are certainly a, a lot of fingers that can be pointed at Alabama. But, Lars, I try and call my Bama friends down just a little bit and say, hey, a win in this league is a win. And if you look at the games that Arkansas had played going into Tuscaloosa Saturday morning, they're not a bad football team at all. They're not a great team, but they're a good team. They have just... <laughs> They have failed in their SEC opportunities, but usually by less than a touchdown. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a team that uh, in Arkansas that nearly won at LSU and uh, they played Ole Miss toe to toe. So this is a good team. And, and KJ Jefferson, as we know, is an excellent quarterback. But, um, you know, as I was uh, taking in the game, I thought about what Lloyd Carr many years ago told me about Tom Brady. And Lloyd Carr was the, the Michigan coach uh, when Tom was at Michigan. And he said, nobody of football more than Tom. So what does that mean? That means like Tom loved, he saw everything as a problem that needs to be solved, right? And this Alabama team, I hope they love the struggle. As much as Tom Brady, because that's what it is. And there are multiple problems that need to be solved on this team. But at the same time, um, the same time, I think that you, you have to realize that, hey, Alabama fans, like this is what the rest of the world goes through every single week with their, with their team. It's like, it's not going to be a blowout. I don't care if Alabama is favored by 20. Uh, they're going to get Arkansas's best shot. And, and we know, Matt, that this is an imperfect team. Um, and, uh, but I, it, to me, in a lot of ways, it's, it's almost my favorite team to Alabama team in the, in the, uh, Nick Saban era because it's a, because they're flawed and because they are grinding. They are working, 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 embracing the struggle, right? That I was just talking about and trying to solve the problems. And the thing is, they have now won five in a row. They're in first place in the SEC West. And I still believe that, you know, if, if they win out, it'll be tough to keep them out of the college football playoffs, even though right now they're sitting at 10 in the AP poll, which came out this morning. But I, 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 just, I don't think that is a big deal because you end up, uh, you, uh, uh, if you beat Georgia, which is basically going to be a home game for the two-time reigning national champion, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, uh, haven't lost in forever. You beat them in, a, in a, again, in essentially a road environment. I think they're in, but your, your big picture takeaways from, from Saturday, Matt. Well, offensive line struggles continue. Uh, gave up another five sacks. I think Alabama leads the nation in sacks allowed. I know they lead the SEC, but correct me if I'm wrong on the number. I think it's 31. That is so unacceptable, especially with an offensive line that came into the season with such high hopes. Alabama was able to run the, run the football, so uh, give them a star for that. But, um, again, there were some penalties uh, ill-timed, and Lars, if someone can explain to me how you have a motion, illegal motion or offsides penalty, when you're trying to go into a victory formation, I mean, do they not <laughs> fa- practice that formation enough? Yeah, I yeah. realize that was a freak thing, and it certainly didn't cost anybody, but it does make you go, hmm, and realize, well, maybe that contributes to the fact that they had nine precepts pre-snap penalties the week before so and and here's another and i i'm not going to be it certainly sounds like it because beating arkansas at home homecoming i mean that's the main thing w is a w but i don't know what kind of adjustments arkansas made on alabama's passing game 
But Milrow was dang near perfect in the first half. 7 of 10, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. Huh? Then in the second half, he had 28 yards passing? Lars, you're a football guy. Is there any way you can explain that to me? Yeah, Alabama just came out flat, and uh, Nick Saban, he said after the game that he didn't do a good job of, of motivating the players at halftime. But I, I don't really think it's the job of the head coach to have to get up there and give a win one for the Gipper kind of speech at every halftime. Um, Alabama just uh, they just were, were so flat in the second half. And, uh, and this is a, a disturbing trend now. It's two weeks in a row where they've come out uh, a little bit flat-footed in the second half. But, uh, yeah, it, it's Jalen Milroe is, it's crazy. Like this, this, this is a, a boom or bust offense. It is all or nothing, right? <laughs> like he has, he, he, he just misses these easy throws, but then he makes these impossibly difficult throws. <laughs> 45, 50 yards down the field with amazing accuracy. I, I've never seen a quarterback like this. I've never seen a quarterback like this. And it's just, it's got to be driving Nick Saban batty. Uh, yes, I said batty, uh, for the, the, just the inconsistency. Cause he, one, one would think, right? The shorter the pass, the easier it is to make that throw. But it, I guess it's not. And, uh, he's, he is such a special talent. I, I really think he is going to be an amazing player, but very much, uh, still a work in progress, you know, and, and we thought that he had turned a corner last week and, and I think he did. Um, and there, there's just, there's just, it feels like there's just so much more there, but it, you can't put it on him. It, it, the offensive line is just atrocious. Uh, the left side. Right, we know that the left side uh, has big time issues, and I think we just need to accept the fact that they're not going to be resolved this year. Right? I mean, there's there's talented players on on that side, but it's just it's for whatever reason it's not happening, and so I think they uh, the the coaching staff in particular Tommy Reese he's got to come up with. Uh, ways to, to mitigate the fact that you have a deficiency on the left side of the line. And I think you can do that, you know, in a variety of ways, screen game, uh, trap, you know, just whatever, or just uh, something, uh, or get a tight end over there and chip, you know, what, there's a lot of things you can do, but I think, you know, Instead of just wishing that it's going to get better, I think there just needs to be a look in the mirror moment and say, this is who we are. We are Big Noon Sports. Coming up, we're going to hear from Jeff, who's at ABC 3340. Spiegel is the man. I think he's probably one of the longest tenured Alabama reporters on Alabama that's, you know, still in the newsrooms. Uh, we'll talk to Jeff on the other side of this break and remind you that interviews like Jeff Spiegel are presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. That's all coming up on Big News Sports. It's back to Big Noon Sports coming up.
Big News Sports, Matt Lawrence, Justin, and joined by our regular from ABC 3340, Jeff Spiegel. Speaks, how are you today? Great. How are you guys? Fantastic. I mean, it's a beautiful fall-like afternoon, and you know how much this one means to our Alabama graduates and friends. It's, uh, it's UT week, um, yeah. and I will certainly get on to that in just a minute. But first of all, you uh, were you just at Nick's uh, news conference? Actually, Jamie's covering that. Okay. Jamie, along with Chris McCulley, are covering that today. And Did you have uh, a chance to listen. She sent me some. She sent me some notes. You know, she she takes very. Um, she takes very good notes, so I'm looking at the uh, at the notes right now, and it sounds like he, he's kind of building off of what you know he talked about after the game on Saturday. You know, just the importance of uh, you know a playing 60 minutes and uh, and just keeping the mental intensity up. And one thing, one thing that I think about when I think about where this program is right now, it just. It just, and I was talking. I was, I was talking with an Alabama fan who's who's one of our, you know, producers here, and he goes, uh, "Never, never before have you had to go one game at a time with this team because you just never know from one game to the next, you know, what you're going to get. You know, you get a second quarter, you know, like they play latter part of the first, and then the second, and then they build this big lead, and then you know, there's a there's a drop off." You know, in the intensity. Now, you could say that, but part of it is KJ Jefferson was making, you know, some phenomenal plays. You know, that, that play where he just like threw Terry on Arnold off his back and the Unreal. Hall of Fame soundbite that Nick Saban gave after that, after the game was over. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, he, he's just, he's a really talented guy. And you kind of have to, you do have to keep your intensity up for 60 minutes when you're, when you're playing an SEC team and you're playing a quarterback of that caliber because the guy's good. I mean, they got to him, they sacked him, but the guy just takes punches and he just gets back up and he just keeps on playing. And, um, you know, that's, that's the way it is with a lot of these teams in this league. And we talked about this before about how Nick Saban has kind of forced everyone to kind of raise their game. And, uh, and that's why, you know, you're, you've seen 12 single-digit games uh, that Alabama has played uh, since 2021. There were five each in 21 and 22, two already this year. And then you look back at from 2015 to 2020 during that run where they won three national titles and they played like a total of 11 single-digit games. So the dominance is not there. But it's not because the program is slipping. It's because everyone else has kind of raised their game. Uh, that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, I think also this team simply doesn't have the depth that other teams have had because of uh, transfer portal and and other uh, issues that have ari- that arisen. But uh, Jeff, uh, in looking at this team, uh, what – are maybe issues number one and two to you as uh, as we sit here uh, a little bit past the midway point and uh, and I know everybody feels like the sky is falling here but hey they're in first place in the SEC West and I still believe that they control their own destiny all the way to the college football playoffs uh, if they can win out. 
Well, that's true. I mean, I really feel I feel the same way. Um, I think issue number one is uh, the left tackle, whoever they start at left tackle, be it Caden Proctor or Elijah Pritchett. Issue two is who comes in and plays left tackle when they take Caden Proctor or Elijah Pritchett out. Because both those guys have struggled. You know, they made, uh, they made number 40 for Arkansas, you know, look like he was Reggie White, you know, and he had three and a half sacks. He had three and a half of the, you know, the five sacks that, uh, that Arkansas got. They've given up 31 sacks this year. And that's the most in the Southeastern Conference. And, um, as much as Jalen Milrow says, Hey, I'm good, you know, you know, I can take it. He shouldn't have to take it. He shouldn't have to. And I know, and I, and I talked to Tyler Watts at halftime, and he keeps he keeps track of this as, you know, great quarterbacks do. Were, were these sacks because he didn't get rid of the ball? Or was it because the protection broke down that quickly? And, you know, it's, it's probably a mixture of both. Whatever it is, that's got to be alleviated. You know, you just cannot keep building up these sacks, you know, game after game after game after game and expect your quarterback, no matter how big he is, uh, to, to just, uh, sustain that week after week. And, and this is going to be a big test. I mean, Tennessee can, you know, create some negative plays with their pass rush. And, uh, uh again, the left tackle who protects Jalen Milrose blindside, I don't know now. I don't know if they need to move some people around and get their best player there at left tackle. Cause I know these offensive linemen we've talked about before how incredibly, you know, intelligent these guys are that they can play multiple positions. I know when Barrett Jones was there, he played all the positions. So I don't know if they need to move their best guy to that spot, but they got to figure that out. They got to figure that out or, you know, it's going to come back maybe to bite them this week or it come. It could come back to bite him against LSU. I know LSU's defense, you know, probably isn't the level where Tennessee's is, but um, that's a problem right there. Yeah, I was just talking to Matt about the uh, the left side of the line and specifically the left tackle position, and I think, you know, I think at this point in the season, Alabama is who they are, and uh, I think you just have to, uh, you know, uh, admit that there's a deficiency at that position and therefore it's probably on Tommy Reese to try to game plan around that while acknowledging and rather than, you know, hoping that it's going to get better. I just, I just don't see this. Uh, is it more surprising the, the, the amount of sacks that they've uh, allowed or the fact that Alabama absolutely cannot run the ball. I, and, and heading into the season, Jeff, we all thought that the offensive line was going to be a strength of this team. Yeah, we thought that'd be the bread and butter for sure, but, but they're really having some issues, issues run blocking. Now the third quarter, you know, had, you, you had a little glimmer of hope there, right? When, uh, Roy Dell Williams broke off a big run, um, you know, uh, you know, Jam had a couple of, had a couple of runs there. Jace McClellan ran the ball, I think, you know, very, very well, you know, for, we uh, Haynes too. yeah, Haynes Justice Haynes and a nice, Justice run. Haynes, uh, yeah, Justice Haynes got some playing time, which certainly, you know, makes his dad happy because he's been complaining on social media about his guy not, you know, his son not getting enough playing time. So, you know, he got, he got some PT. 
so yeah, I mean, you know, they're trying to find answers there, but as good as the running backs are, I mean, they got to have holes. Now that drive in the third quarter, and they didn't finish it, but they got a field goal out of it. In hindsight, that was a really big field goal, you know, because the game wound up being a three-point difference. But yeah, that's another thing too. That's another issue that uh, that they've got to, you know, they've got to get squared away. And 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 it is true that you know by the seventh weekend, I mean, you are who you are. That doesn't mean you can't be a better version of yourself you know, by the time, you know, November rolls around. So, uh, so it's always a work in progress, you know, for these football teams and very rarely, you know, is it a perfect work of art, you know, until you get, uh, you know, to where you're playing for championships. That's what Alabama wants to get to. It's funny that you say that. And I'm going to let Matt ask a question, but I was just thinking that this team is a, it's, they're a Jackson Pollock right now, right? Pollock just uh, would throw paint all over the campus and they got a ways to go before you get to a Picasso. This is more Pollock than Picasso. Go ahead, Matt. But maybe when at the end of the year, it is a Picasso. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, hey, guys, I'll just kind of take a pause here. And follow up a little bit on what Jeff just said about Justice Haynes. Uh, he hasn't progressed the guy that I thought was going to just be a superstar when I watched him in the spring game. But, you know, he's got to pick up blitzes and all that kind of stuff. But, um, Lars, what would you do if your dad was going to social media and saying, Lars needs to write more for Sports Illustrated? <laughs> Yeah, that that would not go over well, Jeff. What, what did you think? Well, I mean, listen. There, there's one thing that happened when when Nick Saban, you know, took over the football program in 2007, is that um, you know you didn't have mamas and daddies coming to the coach's office, you know, complaining about you know their sons not getting playing time. You know, I've talked to several parents, you know, who have had you know, sons who have played for Nick Saban. And it's just like once he enrolls that UA, you there's very little, if any, communication between the head coach and the parents. And the parents are cool with that. You know, most of the parents are cool with that because they trust this guy who's won seven national championships, who's graduated a lot of players, sent players to the NFL I mean, they trust him with their sons, but you can't control, you know, what a dad wants to tweet or what a dad wants to, you know, put on social media. So that's uh, certainly an issue that Nick Saban hasn't had to deal with before. Well, you know, Drew Sanders' dad was pretty active in that regard, and Drew ended up transferring to Arkansas. As much as I've seen out of Justice Haynes, I would hate to see him transfer to TCU. But anyway, uh, that is so far in the future. I'm just not even going to think about it. I do want (laughs) to ask you about a player who seems to lose his cool too often and too many times. Hey, I'll go to the panel and, and, and get their solution. You're listening to Big Noon Sports Interviews presented by Laura Lee Thompson, Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. 
Hey, everybody, it's Gary Harris. Coming up Tuesday on the Gary Harris Show, Rudy Arman, the Rocket Man, talks some ball with us, plus the Titans report with Kayla Anderson. And Paul Patterson from Patterson Criminal Law Firm will be in with uh, some free legal advice. That's Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. on the Gary Harris Show. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Hey, Bama fans. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cool, breezy afternoon with a partly sunny sky. The high today, 62. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 44. A warming trend tomorrow and Wednesday. The sky's sunny both days. The high tomorrow, 67. Wednesday's high, 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 61 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Welcome back into the show. We are talking with Jeff Spiegel. Jeff, uh, what's your assessment of, uh, instead of talking about what's wrong with this team, which we've spent a lot of time doing, (laughs) what's right with this team? What's right? What's good about this team? Defense. I think the defense is, uh, is, is just, I mean, I think, I think they're, I think they're spot on. I mean, I think that, I think they're really good. I think, you know, they definitely, um, you know, need to get Malachi Moore back. Malachi Moore is a big part of that D. Uh, I think they're, um, I think their pass rush is really good. I think they're pretty good at, at every, at every level. I mean, I really think, I mean, they're good enough, you know, to take Alabama to the national championship. I feel like, you know, the offense is kind of, you know, playing catch up, you know, to the defense. And I, and I think, you know, they eventually, you know, will catch up. But, uh, but to me, the bright spot, the bright spot is the defense. I mean, they really, um, they really get after you. And it was, um, but you know, at the same time, you know, they take ownership, you know, of giving up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, you know, to Arkansas, uh, with Dallas Turner, Deontay Lawson, uh, both those guys came in the interview room and, you know, they didn't run from it. You know, no one's pointing fingers at each other. No one's saying, well, if the offense could have scored, you know, you know, the, the, the score wouldn't look like this. You know, they, they took ownership of the fact that, you know, they let KJ Jefferson get away from him after keeping him fairly bottled up in the first half. Well, out of the end zone, in fact. So, um, you know, there's a lot of pride there on that side of the football and a lot of talent as well. 
And, um, you know, oftentimes the best reporting we do is just simply with our eyes, right? And just when, like, and specifically I'm talking about Nick Saban, uh, you spend a lot of time around him, both, uh, you know, before games, after games, during the week. What do your eyes tell you about his demeanor and about uh, his level of enthusiasm and, uh, you know, just kind of where he is? And do you think that it's possible this is his last season or just, uh, again, what, what, what do your own eyes tell you? What are you seeing? Well, I mean, I've always been in the camp that this will not be his last season. Um, that that he uh, he still enjoys the building process. He enjoys the challenge of uh, you know of climbing that mountain every year. Um, I know people you know kind of read into sideline demeanor and and all of that stuff. And um, but he but he still I mean even even Saturday I mean you know he lit up carry on when he got to the sideline you know one time. I think the guy's still got a fire. I think he's still got the intensity. You know he opened up that Wednesday press conference you know, giving us a good lecture, you know, about, uh, about nothing. I felt like I was watching a Seinfeld show or something, but, uh, but, but that he, was but he awesome. About... That was awesome, by the way. That was awesome. <laughs> it's because Jeff, it's about... one of those times, right? We're, where it's terrific. like, you've talked about how you can apply what Nick is saying to your own life as a reporter. Yes, yes absolutely. And so, I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're all locked in on that. And, and the main thing you take away from that when he got done was that guys aren't working this week. The the guys aren't, you know, the guys aren't finishing in practice. And then what happened on Saturday? The guys didn't finish the game. So, you know, he, he's going to take that into today's work and he's going to go, look, you know, you thought Arkansas was tough. You know, these guys are going to come in and they know how ticked off you are. They know how upset you are because, you know, you lost to them. They know how upset you are because they stormed the field and, and, and all that stuff. They know that. But you know what? They don't care. They don't care how mad you are because they want to come in here and, and, you know, beat you again. And it's going to be even sweeter, you know, for them to do it on your home field. You know, so he's he's lighting them up this week, and and uh, and I expect this week. I mean, if they better, I expect this week to be a much better practice week than last week because uh, obviously, judging from Wednesday, and and in most cases, the haze in the barn by Wednesday. You know, most of your best work is done by the time Wednesday's over, and he came in there Wednesday after practice, and he didn't feel like they they had put their best work in. And, you know, the results, you know, kind of showed up on Saturday in the in the fourth quarter where Alabama has been generally stronger than anyone else in the country for years. And, and they lost the fourth quarter Saturday. Hey, Jeff, as much as we've talked about left tackle with Caden Proctor mm-hmm. and Elijah Pritchett and the issues that the O-line has been having there, um, what stood out to me this past Saturday is we are still having issues snapping the ball to the quarterback with Seth Mm -hmm. McLaughlin. Is the reason he's still in there because maybe we don't get as much um, pass rush ability and blocking from other options at the center position? 
Well, that's a really good question. That's a question only the offensive line coach, you know, would, would be able to answer. And, uh, of course, you know, we don't get to talk to those guys. Um, I, I, this comes up, this comes up in the sports office like every Monday, you know, what in the heck is going on there? And, and, uh, you know, and to Jalen Milrow's credit, Jalen Milrow never throws his guys under the bus. He's been asked about this before. He never, he never throws Seth under the bus. You know, he always says, well, you know, I have to do a better job of, of, you know, with my voice level and, and, you know, with my communication with him and all of that. So, um, I don't know when, when they, when they're watching the film room, you know, and they see these low snaps and the snaps going, you know, to the left and to, to the right and all that stuff. I can, I can just imagine what the conversations are like. You know, with the with the offensive line coach and all that, but um, it it must be because he does so many other things well. But to me, no matter how many other things you do well, getting the ball to the quarterback to me seems like a really really important thing when it when it comes to playing center. So I have no idea, you know, what what the what the thought process has been there. I I, I think you're right. It's it draws to me back in in middle school, although I'm not maybe as old as Lars or Matt, but back back in my day. <laughs> hey now, hey now. Back in my, <laughs> well, now. Oh yeah, it's too far, too far. <laughs> my bad. Um, but I used to play center in like middle school, and I can remember if I got a bad snap, I was benched the next play. Um, yeah. Because, like you said, it's it's as much as well as you may do other things. That's the most important thing is getting the ball and. With the extra extended pressure coming from the left side off the left tackle, that's just another thing on top of having to deal with, you know, worrying if you can get the snap in correctly. Um, I know we've been having some technical issues here with Matt, but Matt was willing to ask about Jermaine Burton's, um, I guess, temper and the way he's been acting on the field. I, we talked about this last week, thinking that coach might address it and we might see something different, but it doesn't look like anything has changed. Um, I'm wondering what's your thoughts on that or if it's going to get addressed in the um, practice this week. Well, I mean, I think you, uh, I think with Jermaine, I mean, and, and you saw how great he was against Texas A&M. Um, you know, the thing with him is that, you know, he plays, he plays with a lot of emotion. And one thing you've heard Nick Saban say a lot you know, through the years, you know, since 07, is that it's, it's okay to play with emotion. You just can't be emotional, you know. And that's and that's gotten him in, in, in trouble, you know, before. You know, he made the big catch, you know, the, the long, you know, catch in the uh, in the Arkansas game, you know, and he's jawing with a guy. He just, uh, he really has a hard time, you know, kind of shutting that off. And, um, you know, yeah, but... but it's one of those things that, you know, the, the guy makes great plays. And as long as he stays out of trouble, you know, on the field and doesn't get some silly penalties like he has in the past, you know, they will, they'll keep him in there. You know, it, he, when he goes up for a pass, the guy attacks the football. And that's what you need out of a receiver. And he's the, he's the best on the team at doing that. And so they're going to kind of let some of that stuff go a little bit uh, as long as he keeps producing on the field, I think. Jeff, um, just real quick, what does your gut tell you about how Alabama will play against Tennessee? Or are you just like me? Like, you just have no freaking idea. 
<laughs> no, I think they're going to come out with a lot of energy. I think they're going to play extremely, extremely well. I would be shocked if they didn't play their best game of the year and, and cover the 10-point spread with ease, I think. Yeah, uh, a little surprised that that number is as high as it is. But, uh, Jeff, thank you so much. How can people follow you? Oh, well, uh, at Steve3340 on uh, what Twitter, which is Alex, I guess. And uh, re- really appreciate the time, you guys, and have a great day. Thank you so much for your time, Jeff. You're really generous with, you. it, uh, with us. Appreciate it. All right, listen to Big News Sports. We'll be right back. Football fan WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Big Nine Sports is presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Justin Jones, our producer, and our guest here at the top of the hour on a Monday is Andy Kennedy, A.K. Andy, how you been, man? I'm good, Matt. How are you? Life's good. Uh, you looking at your schedule? You guys play an exhibition two weeks from tomorrow night. I'm going to ask you a dumb question. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope we are in two weeks from tomorrow night. Um, we're, we're, you know, this is this is crazy. I told our team yesterday. Yesterday was October the fifteenth. October the fifteenth is typically when you start college basketball. Back in the old days, when I played for the founding father of UAB athletics, the late great Gene Bartow, we wouldn't even see him until October fifteenth. Then we would start practice, and we'd go six out of seven days for about a month. Then we'd start games. Well, now. As the rules have changed, uh, we have had our guys since early June. You get eight weeks in the summer, then you get, you know, pre-fall workouts about five weeks before you can start in earnest at the end of September. So we have been going at it quite some time. Uh, we've got a, an inter-squad scrimmage, a secret scrimmage uh, next weekend, and then we've got an exhibition game, as you said, in a couple of weeks. And we're three weeks away from tipping for real against a really good Bradley team. So... Uh, we've, we, we, we learned a lot about ourselves. It's time for us to play somebody else to really get a gauge on where we are. Andy, I was looking at your roster and I went, what? Jelly Walker doesn't have a 15th year of eligibility. Um, your roster has changed a lot. Um, and I guess you lost your big guy too. Um, is this a rebuild year or are you just going to remanufacture and move along to the tournament? Well, you know, the, the hope is that we can get this team to, to realize its potential to be best version of self, both individually and collectively. That's our goal each and every year. We, we sign, you know, we're a sport that has 13 scholarship players. We sign nine new players. It's a potpourri wow. of signees as well in that we take four out of the transfer portal. We took one high school kid. We signed four junior college kids. Those nine newcomers joined four guys. Uh, that were a part of a, a UAB record 29 win season last year, uh, and guys that we're going to be expected to, to really give us the leadership that we need as these new guys try to figure out what it takes to be successful at this level. I like our group. We're athletic. We're 
We're bigger than we've been along our front line in any of my four years. I think we've got versatility at a number of different spots. Um, but, again, there's so many unknowns that uh, we've got a lot of guys that have never been in a Division One game, and until they get that experience and until they start to figure out what it looks like when, when there's live rounds fired, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly uh, be a work in progress. Coach, you began your playing career at NC State in 1986, and by my rough math, that was uh, 37 years ago. Um, do you, are you as excited now going into it? Uh, you, obviously, college basketball is uh, in your DNA. Are you excited now as ever? And also, uh, have you ever had a player beat you in a game of horse? Because I'm guessing, I'm guessing no, but, uh, I'm really curious about that. Well, I'll answer the second part first. I've kind of hung up my playing shoes. I, I still think that if I was open, I could make it, but it'd take a hell of a coach to get me open right now. I don't, I don't move very well, uh, in any direction. Uh, so uh, I've kind of hung that up. I used to still play, uh, competitively probably into my mid to upper thirties, but now I'm in my mid fifties. So, those days are behind me for sure. Uh, I am excited about the start of college basketball season. I love competition. I love being in the action. Um, and I love seeing, you know, teams try to figure out who they are. It's a grind now. And, and in my sport, uh, people ask me sometimes, hey, man, what, what do you do for a living? And I tell them I'm in the scoreboard business. And they say, are you in the scoreboard business? What's that mean? I say, well, that, that scoreboard better make sense or I'm going to be out of business. So I, I, I understand at the end of the day, we're all judged by by wins and losses, but I really do like the process of, of trying to figure out, you know, what schematically is in this team's best interest in order to put itself in the best position possible to be successful. I like to see guys uh, mature and grow into roles, and uh, I'm excited to see what this team is capable of. If I can just follow up really quick, uh, Andy, uh, how has the transfer portal changed just your day to day, uh, kind of life and the, and the fact that you have nine new players coming in this year? What's well, changed everything? Literally a 180 degree turn from, from back in the day when, when I played and as you said in the, in the 80s, early 90s, everything's changed. Um, and we all have to evolve transfer portal, NIL, now it's more about roster management than, than ever before. Um, you know, and everybody can have their own opinions, whether it's good, bad, or what have you. It is what it is. We've just tried to adapt as best we could. Hey, Andy, um, you've moved to a, a higher level, I guess I could say. Nothing against Conference USA, but uh, you're in the American now. Big deal? Yeah, I think it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting to be able to renew some old rivalries with a with a Memphis, for instance. It'll be great to have Tulane back on the schedule, uh, uh, an SMU at least for a year before they before they shift to the to the uh, uh, AAC. Uh, so yeah, Wichita State, a team that's not too far removed from a Final Four. So we're really excited about. Uh, these new opponents and the opportunities that they provide. But as you said, man, Conference USA had a banner year last year. Uh, FAU, the story of college basketball, making an incredible run to the Final Four. Got the majority of that team back. There'll be a preseason top 10, top 15 team in the country, and we've got them coming into Bartow Arena, excited about that opportunity. And last year, Conference USA was rated the 10th best league in college basketball. There's, I think, 31 overall conferences so it was the highest the Conference USA had been under its current alignment. 
and and it's a league that went 19 and three in the postseason. All 19 of those wins were by teams that are now with us in the new American Conference. So I think from a top to bottom, the league's going to be very, very challenging. Andy? Yeah, go ahead, Lars. I was just going to say, if uh, Coach, can you just kind of highlight, you know, some of the key players uh, for our listeners who, you know, may not be uh, extremely familiar with, you know, who your starting five or your your really your seven eight man rotation. Well, Lars, to be honest with you, I'm not real familiar with my starting five or my top <laughs> seven or eight as of yet either. That's why I'm glad, you know, I'll, hopefully I'll have it figured out three weeks from tonight when we open up against Bradley on November 6th in Bartow Arena at seven o'clock. And let me tell you this, you know, that's the opening night of college basketball and there's only one game out of about a hundred that's going to be played that feature two teams that won at least 25 games uh last season and that's and that's us with 29 and bradley with 27 so it should be a heck of an opening night matchup get your tickets now uh i will say this i think program sales will be uh at an all-time high in bartow arena because again (laughs) we have so many we have so many new guys uh let me start first with our four returners eric Gaines, the transfer from lsu who's an honorable mention all cusa player last year terrific uh physical talent had huge moments for us last year and again helping our team win a school record 29 games and making it to the championship of the NIT for the first time in program history. And Eric is a guy now that we need to take that next step. He's in year two in our program and he's a guy that has all league potential and we need him to play to that potential. Javion Davis, uh, uh, our lone returner along our front line played uh, uh, significant minutes for us last year, more than a backup to Trey Jemison. Uh, Javen Davis is a sixth year. He's a COVID senior. He started out with Avery Johnson at Alabama. Then he was there when Nate Oates came aboard. He transferred and played for Ben Howland at Mississippi State. Now he's in year two with me. So obviously he's a cagey veteran. He's a guy that, that, uh, we need to, to have a, a tremendous senior year. He's the lone senior on our roster this year. So a uh, big leadership responsibility for him. And then we've got two high school kids. Uh, one of them is a, is a, a, a fourth year junior in Tony Tony, and the other is a, a sophomore in Efren Butta Johnson, both from the Huntsville area, both played significant roles for us last year. And this year, they're going to have expanded roles. And then nine new guys again, four junior college kids, three of which were ranked in the top 10 of all junior college players in America last year with Chris Coleman rated second, Alejandro Vasquez rated fourth, and Yaxel Lendenborg rated ninth. Uh, guys that are, that, that we think are, are really talented and got a chance to come in here and make an immediate impact. We took four kids out of the portal, uh, three from Power Fives, two with a little bit of local flavor and Will Shaver from Oak Mountain who left North Carolina and Barry Dunning, the, the player of the year in the state of Alabama who came from Arkansas. A couple of those with a kid from up in North Alabama, Daniel Ortiz who made over a hundred threes last year for North Alabama and James White from Ole Miss just up the road from Georgia. And then we signed one high school kid. And KJ Satterfield, who we've got high hopes for. So that's our roster. Hopefully you were taking notes. There's going to be a lot of interchangeable ins and outs until we figure out again what is in the, in the best way for this team to be successful, which is ultimately my job. Andy, I'll wrap it up. Final tough question. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with NATO, but Alabama fans in the state, you know, Bama and the UAB fans in the state, I think would love to see y'all play. Is there any chance of that happening? 
I would walk to Tuscaloosa today to make it happen, Matt. We have tried and tried and tried, and Nate and I are cool. We've, we've, we've got a good relationship, as do Bruce and I. Uh, and, and that's another series that I would like to get back going. You know, when I was a player here uh, in my three years of eligibility for Coach Barton, we played, we played Auburn every year. Uh, and yeah. then they played for a number of years after that, and then it stopped prior to me getting here, and I'm trying to get that back started, and I think there's a possibility of that happening in the not-so-distant future. And then Nate and I have had numerous conversations. He understands he's always going to play a game in Birmingham, loud at Legacy, and, and we would love to be a part of that, you know, whether it be in a, in a double header where they're playing somebody and us playing somebody, or ultimately us having the opportunity to play them. This is so unlike football where – you know, one game now, especially when it's only four teams in the playoff. Now it'll change when they get to the 12 team playoff, but, you know, one game has so much sway in college football as it relates to the ultimate goal of playing in the playoff. In basketball, we play 31 regular season games, plus one in the conference tournament guaranteed. One game out of 32 is not going to really move the needle one way or the other. Alabama's Alabama. They're going to have success regardless. UAB's had a pretty storied history without playing the Crimson Tide, so we're going to be okay as well. I think it would be great for basketball. It'd be great for the community, and it's something I would certainly love to see happen. Andy, thanks for your time. See you in a couple of weeks. Hey, guys, thank, thank you, you. Thank you so you much. Andy Kennedy, head coach of UAB Blazers, and uh, basketball season's here, Lars. I'm kind of jacked about that, too. Also, I'm really uh, excited. I'm really excited. Oh, and we've got, uh, you know, baseball's continuing without my Braves, but you know, I'm over that. Well, no, no, not you? really. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not really, because when I watched the games like I did last night, I went, man, we should be there. I'm still All right. the 1981 Orange Bowl, okay, when Tom Osborne went for two and uh, didn't get it. So. Bill. I'm, I'm working through that one. <laughs> 50 or 42 40, years later. 42 years later, I'm still working through it. All right. We won't take that long. We'll work through this break. Come back more. Big News Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cool, breezy afternoon with a partly sunny sky. The high today, 62. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 44. A warming trend tomorrow and Wednesday. The sky's sunny both days. The high tomorrow, 67. Wednesday's high, 72. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 62 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big News Sports. Justin Jones, Max Coulter, Lars Anders, and Robbie Glenn is going to join us. Robbie, appreciate you taking time out to join us. I know it's been a trying time. You lost your mom, but you had such a wonderful attitude about it. She's not hurting anymore. I know she was a wonderful lady, and we've all been praying for her. Matt, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's been tough, but like you said, uh, she's not hurting anymore. The last... Well, the last couple of years have been rough, but the last month, just to see her suffering, you know, just it was hard. But you know, um, now that she's gone, you know, she's not hurting anymore. I'm gonna miss her every day. That was that was my rock. That was my whatever you know, with striker and everything I have going on. That's who uh, mom kept me uh, grounded and just said, uh, keep focusing on what you got to do. And and uh, she raised me that way. And 
take care of your family, your friends, and and that's why I'll, I'll live my life out how she uh, raised me. And, uh, I know she's really, really, I know she's really proud of you, Robbie, and um, the, the pictures you posted of you and your mom on, on Facebook were just uh, so special. And, you know, you and I were communicating earlier, and, uh, you know, I, I lost my dad uh, many years ago. And it's just, uh, you know, no matter, no matter what condition your parent is in, when you lose a parent, it is a it's it is absolutely a, a life altering moment but again i i think you are you know doing the best you can right just to see through the the darkness and and focus on on the light here and the light is the fact that uh the suffering is over yeah the suffering's over and and we were so close so i got i've got really strong memories and it's like she's always going to be with me um and you know, and I and I, I've, I've got to keep the the focus also on Striker and uh, keeping him him going. And there is uh, it, it it's sad. And uh, tomorrow's going to be sad. The funeral's tomorrow, but uh, it's also going to be really nice just to hear all the stories about mom. And you know, a lot of my Bama teammates have all called and reached out because she didn't miss a game. And I, I only remember missing a game in little league, even when I was coaching softball. And I know the umpires didn't miss it. it, it know she was there too because she was always on them because you couldn't <laughs> couldn't go against her baby i was her baby so i could do no wrong <laughs> so but yeah well, that's great that's, uh, that's but, you know tell us tell us a story like a, a sports story of you and, and your mom and i mean you, you kind of just did of how instrumental she was at such a young age and I'm sure, like, you know, getting you to practice and, and sitting through those uh, long games in the summer. Oh, yes. I mean, like I said, she didn't miss one. Um, there was a few games, like, especially at Alabama. Like, if we were on the road playing at LSU, and if they were riding any of us, her and her sisters, which they never missed one either, my aunt, they would be, uh, they would be letting the crowd know. They would go point out who was giving the most trouble. And let them know they can't be yelling at me like that or any of my teammates. So, um, and I'm trying to think of some other ones, but uh, especially umpires. If uh, if I struck out looking, which you know happens every now and then, then it was definitely the umpire's fault because I wouldn't take a pitch. So she would let them know. Um, but uh, she was just awesome. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, good memories. Love her that I always will and that she's going to be with me always. I'm just glad she's not hurting. And she loved her Alabama sports. And uh, so that's why I came on. We're going to talk about, you know, yeah, Alabama football and what a great baseball weekend, too. Friday, what they did to Auburn was amazing. So, yeah, they played a, a doubleheader. They played a two seven innings each, and Alabama allowed two runs in 14 innings. Uh, just go on a little bit about how uh, Alabama took it to the Tigers. Yeah, the, the not knowing coming in and just to see what they did. You know, again, it's preseason. But Coach Vaughn got them ready and Coach Jackson. And to start off the game with a leadoff home run and then your second hole hitter do it, follow up with a home run, and then you get two back-to-back singles and then a three-run homer. So is that just bats are on fire or is Auburn pitching not that good? I'm going to say our bats are on fire. Like we got some hitters. So we replaced such a great team. Now it's apparently a, a great team again. So baseball is going to be exciting next year and 22 strikeouts. So the pitchers are throwing too. So just, that, that's just great start of a, 
of a baseball season right there. Yeah, uh, couldn't be much better for Alabama. Um, talking with Robbie Glenn, former Alabama baseball player who, uh, sits in with us, uh, frequently and co-hosts with us. Uh, Robbie, just your thoughts on the Alabama, uh, Crimson Tide on Saturday against, uh, Arkansas and, um, and what transpired in the second half and where do you see this team going forward? Uh, you know, like, like every Alabama fan and it was frustrating to see them let Arkansas back in, but you know, uh, I'm also excited about, they were really handling Arkansas pretty easily. I thought our defense flying around offense looked like they were clicking and then just let off the gas. And, uh, so here we are with another coaching, uh, a coaching way that Saban's going to figure out, Hey guys, you can't do that with good teams. They're going to come back and beat you, so maybe that's another uh, teaching experience right there, and they're not going to let that happen again. A um, little frustrated still with the, the line, but I thought they also played better. Uh, number 40 just had a field uh, just field day with our guys, but I, I think he was just on fire that day. He was making some great moves to get in there and get to the quarterback. And uh, I heard Jeff talking about it earlier about Burton. Um, how do you control him a little better with, these unnecessary penalties that he's getting and i agree but also ever since he's been turned loose to talk a little trash his uh production's gotten up so how do you control that like let him talk a little crap and get his production going but he's got to learn not to hurt the team at the same time either so you know that's another coaching like saban's gonna have to control that just which that makes it exciting and now we got tennessee yeah, we got Tennessee. All right, uh, Robbie, our prayers continue with you. We appreciate you joining us as always, and hope hope we see you on Friday. I hope so. It's my birthday weekend, and I'll, I'll plan on trying to get down there. Good deal. Oh, and I'm going to the awesome. game, too. Thank yeah. y'all. I'll, I'll be in touch with you, Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. Yep. You're the best. Let's go to Joseph, who's been on hold as he's dialed in. What's up, guys? Hey, Joseph. Joseph, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to be honest with you now. I gave Jalen Barrow his props at Texas A&M. <laughs> you but, did. Uh, you did, Joseph. You did. But uh, I'm also I'm going to be fair on this now, guys. Uh, just because I gave Jalen Barrow his props. He didn't have a good game yesterday, and that may be because he's a young player and you know, because he's it's his first year start and he's still learning. I keep a little leeway on that, but um, but ten for twenty one is not a good, not a good numbers at all. Well, I mean, I know that all that ain't on him. Some of his receivers dropped, and, but uh, he missed a wide open. Right. Jake, Jake McClellan over there on the left when they got down there close to the goal line one time missed wide open, and we had to set up a field goal, and um. I, that's what makes me wonder is going through all of his progressions like he's supposed to still. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating because I'm going to tell you, if we play like this versus LSU, they can whoop our butt. I mean, because LSU, they got an offense to keep scoring. Uh, Arkansas, they didn't have offense to score. Jake Daniels, when he comes to Crescalusa, he's the best quarterback in the SEC. You go three and out against them one time. They score on you. They they go two touchdowns ahead of you. Yeah, and uh, Joseph, 
Of all the issues that Alabama is facing right now on really the offensive side of the ball, let's just focus on that. Among fans, what is the most concerning? The most concerning to me right now, to be honest with you, is um, the offensive line, man. All these sacks we're taking. I mean, I mean, uh, Jesus, and the penalties, and it's a mixture of things. I mean, if you ask me my personal opinion, I'm concerned about quarterback play, too. I'm not sure we're getting a high-level quarterback play yet. I'm be honest with you. I mean, do I think Jared Miro is good, good enough to win you some games? Yeah, I do. I think he's, I think he's good enough to win you some games. But is he good enough to win you the big one? Is he good enough to beat Georgia? Is he good enough to get you, in, you know, into a national championship? I don't know. I don't know if he is that good enough. But I mean, you want, I mean, he could be. But I, I just don't know if he is. I have my doubts. I mean. Well, Joseph, thank you for your call. By the way. I'm not trying to split hairs, just have. Monroe was great in the first half. I just, the offensive line failed him in the second, I guess. But anyway, Joseph, have a well, great not, week. I know we'll talk later. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not all offensive line's fault either because I've heard other people talk that play quarterback, and they say that, you know, I, you know, a lot of a lot of them say it was offensive line, but some of those were Monroe's fault for holding the ball too long. Uh, yeah, I think he's been coached that uh, losing eight better than losing the football. Yeah, uh, very no good. No good point. You know, and uh, it is you, you can't try to be a hero. And and I think the next step in his progression is going to be realizing when it's just absolutely not there, and, and and try to get the ball out of the hand and out of bounds or or wherever. Uh, so you don't take that, that eight yard loss because let's face it, this Alabama offense right now, uh, the, uh, uh, they have to be almost perfect, right? And you can't have a negative play, uh, and, uh, that is absolutely going to derail this, this, uh, it's going to derail an offensive series. So the, the, the margin for error, is very small. Would would you agree with that, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and when the errors are there, they just come at the most inoperable times, uh, inopportune times, I should say. Hey, let's take a break. When we get back, we'll continue with Big Ben Sports. And yeah, how about taking some more phone calls? And we can do that at 205 342 Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, 
Hey, appreciate y'all dialing us up on this lovely fall Monday afternoon. Following a successful Alabama weekend, they beat Arkansas 24-21. I want to throw this statistical information at you guys, and we'll move along and go coast to coast. Alabama has 31 sacks as allowed. That's a big has has allowed 31 sacks, last in the SEC. There are only four teams in FBS that have more. South Florida with 32. Well, then this is a misprint. They have Wake Forest 29, but they've only played six games. So you get my point. South Florida, Wake Forest, Colorado, and Old Dominion all have more sacks or more sacks per game have allowed than any other team in the entire country. So it's definitely an area that the offensive line and the quarterback, the wide receivers, Tommy Reed's ball, trying got to figure out. The schedule, Lars, doesn't get any easier from here. Tennessee, settled this weekend at 2.30. Yeah, you got Tennessee and then LSU, uh, both home games and both uh, of those teams beat Alabama last year. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see. This, it is a critical stretch. Uh, however, I think Alabama they they'll, they're going to be favored in every game uh, from here on out to the end of the regular season. They obviously would be underdogs against Georgia, and uh, Georgia now dealing with a Brock Bauer injury, which we'll we'll get to here in a second. But uh, yeah, I, I just want to kind of uh, hopscotch around the country and and some of the things that uh, caught both of our eyes, really all, all three of us. Justin, definitely want you to weigh in here. And let's start with Washington. Uh, this is the game of the year. And we knew it was so far, game of the year so far. Washington, Oregon, um, the, the team that wins this game was going to have the upper hand in winning the Pac-12. And not only that, whoever wins this game, their quarterback was going to have the uh, huge advantage in terms of the Heisman Trophy race. And that has been exacerbated by the fact that USC and Caleb Williams just uh, were awful on Saturday night in South Bend and got it handed to them. But uh, out in Seattle, Washington, the Huskies beat Oregon 36 to 33. It was uh, certainly a heavyweight bout. And, uh, you know, key plays on fourth down, uh, and just really good offense. And, uh, Oregon misses a field goal at the end there. A lot of questionable play calling from, uh, Oregon's head coach, Lanning. But, uh, I think the biggest winner this week is Washington and, uh, Michael Penix Jr., Matt, who you've been on all year. I get, I gotta give you credit. You've been talking about him since about week two that he is your guy for the Heisman. And I, 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 unless Washington absolutely falls on their face in these next, in the next month or so, uh, Penix is going to be your Heisman trophy winner, Matt. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. I, I think if you just weigh it out between Penix and Bo Nix, it's almost a draw, really. But Washington won the game, and Caleb Williams threw three interceptions. Notre Dame just took the Trojans to the woodshed. So I think you couple those and a couple other factors in here. Uh, Penix is uh, probably 
your leading candidate at this point. I didn't look it up this morning. Normally I do on those small research little polls, but um, I would think Pennick, especially like you said, if the Huskies just continue to win. And they've, they've got some tough games down the road, but um, that was interesting. Talk a little bit about Notre Dame whipping up on USC. What did you think about that? I certainly didn't expect it. Well, I, I think USC they they have gotten to so much better at the on 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 the line of scrimmage, and uh, and and USC just they couldn't they couldn't handle it. Um, and uh, Caleb Williams just uh, you know you saw this yeah you, you actually saw this coming because the previous week playing against an inferior opponent that took him to overtime, Caleb Williams was not great. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I really thought that, uh, that, that the Irish had a great chance. And look, even though Notre Dame is out of the playoff picture, I mean, they're capable of, of, of rising up and, and striking and, and, and they did that. And, um, I think <clears throat> for Notre Dame, for head coach, uh, Marcus Freeman, who's in his second year, this was a huge win huge win because it will give them momentum going into next year because you just knocked USC out of the playoff picture and you cost Caleb Williams a shot at the Heisman. Uh, your thoughts on, on the Fighting Irish? I just don't know who you're going to get when they play. You know, Louisville turned around and lost this weekend. I guess they, they left it all in their victory over the Fighting Irish. But, man, Notre Dame looked like a top-five team Saturday night. And I, I, they're, they're not. Um, they've had a couple of losses. Ohio State, that wasn't a bad loss except the way it happened. Um, and Louisville just kind of took it to them. So Notre Dame may not be in the playoff picture, but I, I don't think anybody wants to play them right now. Do you? No, no. Um, I think the best team in the country right now, if I had to vote, uh, Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, me They too. have just absolutely been dominant. And, uh, I think they will likely be, uh, ranked number one when the first set of college football playoff rankings come out. Excuse me. On, uh, Halloween, October 31. On Saturday, they throttled a pretty decent Indiana team, 52 to seven. This is amazing. They've outscored their first four Big Ten opponents by 149 points. And no one has scored more than 10. Against Michigan all season. And look, Michigan absolutely laid the wood to Nebraska, what, two, three weeks ago. And, uh, I was talking to some of my guys back in, uh, Lincoln and they were like, this is an NFL team. This is, that's how good they are at the, at, and it's the line of scrimmage. They're just tough on both the D line and O line. And this, this, <laughs> I know we're still a ways away from Michigan playing Ohio State, but you see Ohio State struggling. This Michigan team, I, they're just the clear cut favorite to me to break through and finally win the national title after uh, the last two years. They, uh, uh, they've, they've lost in the, in the semifinals, but they've made the playoffs, you know, because they've beaten Ohio State. But this team, Matt, they are – it's a special, special team. Yeah, it is. 
and I've been kind of touting him for the last couple of weeks. So uh, I don't know if it's clear cut, but it seems a lot clearer to me now. Hey, I was just looking up something since North Carolina defeated Miami. I believe it was 31-21. North Carolina is 6-0. And in the ACC, I thought, well, that's going to make for a great showdown between NC and FSU. They don't play. They could play a championship game. They don't play in the regular season. That happens occasionally in conference play. It's just like Alabama won't play. Who's Florida this year? Hey, we'll take a break on Big News Sports presented by Haley Sanson. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow as we add DC, DC Capstone Report to the conversation. We'll get his thoughts on the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll also have his turning points of the game, key takeaways, and we'll turn our conversation to the third Saturday in October as we look to Tennessee versus Alabama. That conversation and more right here on your home for Alabama Sports Todd. 100.9 and 1230 AM WTBC. Catch the Martin Houston show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Tide 1. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed it is. Large Justin man. Hey, guys, I was just looking at the Associated Press Top 25, and there's only one team in the top ten from the Southeastern Cup, and that's the number one team in the land. That's Georgia. That is just kind of mind-boggling. I guess I guess the, the whole conference is down, guys. Is that an incorrect statement? No, it's not. And... Um... That's why, you know, if you just sort of analyze where everything is right now, there is a possibility that the SEC champion, if it's Alabama, doesn't get in. I don't think that would be the case, but because I I do believe that uh, the Pac-12 is going to cannibalize itself. And and I think you're only going to get one team out of the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, if you're Alabama, you want Oklahoma to get a loss somewhere. Uh, and you also want uh, Florida State to take a loss somewhere. But, um, you know, still a lot of football to be played. Uh, but it is it is rather odd seeing uh, <laughs> all these teams from different conferences and, and uh uh, in, in front of uh, the second ranked, uh, the second best team right now in the SEC, according to AP, which is Alabama. Justin, do you you think in your mind is this just cyclical? Uh, in that uh, the SEC was it was due for a year that the, the entire conference is going to be down, or or is it more that uh, coaches and other conferences have sort of figured out what the SEC has been doing? And then, and then they're doing uh, that in abundance as well. I don't know if it's the coaches have figured it out. I think, I think if you look, especially at the Pac-12 schools, they've kind of poached a lot of our coaches. You look at Colorado. You look at Oregon. Um, so I, 
it's not that they figured us out. It's that they've become us in a way. Um, although there's definitely less defense, I think, in the Pac-12. And we've talked about it before, Lars and, and Matt. It's it's NIL. It's the balancing of recruiting classes and allowing schools uh, opportunities at players they wouldn't typically get a chance to to have. So players are are there's more parity throughout the entirety of college football and this is only the start i think i think even as we go to next year in the 12 team playoff it's going to get worse for the sec which we don't want to hear but that's that's just the unfortunate uh trend that it, that it's happening right now yeah and and, and matt to uh, piggyback on that I think we could also make the argument that at the most important position, quarterback, quarterback play in the SEC is down this year uh, in, in general. Uh, I mean, start with Auburn. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford, they combined to go 15 of 27 against LSU, 154 yards, uh, one touchdown, and just uh, rough, a rough, <laughs> rough uh a rough evening uh, for Auburn, and and uh, I think we just we have realized that Auburn has a long way to go, and uh, that's not on Hugh Freeze. I think that's more of an indictment on the uh, previous coaching staff and their inability to recruit. I mean, what an absolute disaster! What a disaster Brian Harson was. Um, maybe one of the worst hires. I can remember. Um, but, uh, you know, with Arkansas, you got KJ Jefferson, who I think is, is going to be, I think he'll play in the NFL. Um, but, uh, you, you kind of, you just, you, you look around. I mean, uh, Carson Beck, I think he, you know, Matt, you've talked about how he is really growing into his role. He's an ascending player. No question about it. Uh, last week, granted, it's against Vandy, but he hit 29 of 39. Uh, 261, one touchdown. That's a completion percentage of 74.4%. Um, but, uh, in, in, in Jaden Daniels, we, we know that he, he's a special player. Uh, Jackson Dart is, is pretty good at, at, at Ole Miss. Uh, Will Rogers, we thought was pretty good at Mississippi State. But, you know, I, I just, uh, and Spencer Rattler, who uh, I'm a fan of, but he's just not getting enough help uh, overall. Um, and I think Joe Milton is really uh, the, the Tennessee quarterback. I think he's 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 a mid-level SEC quarterback. I mean, yeah, that's really cool that you can throw the ball 80 yards, but that means nothing on game day, absolutely nothing. So I, I think, you know, a big reason why the SEC is down is that there's no mega elite quarterbacks in the league. Would you agree with that? I'll, I'll start well, with you. Well, I would say Jay Daniels is yeah. pretty darn good. Yeah, Jay Daniels is really uh, good. I think he. he I, think, I think he's probably. I think, yeah. And Milton has played below par, below, below my expectations for sure. You better watch out because Carson Beck is getting better and better and better. Uh, he's about to gain elite status in my book. So, uh, has it been like the last couple of years where Alabama was leading the way with the best quarterback in the conference? No. And that's probably where you look at the quarterbacks and you say, well, they are down a little bit because Alabama doesn't have a Jalen Hurts or a Mac Jones or a Tua. By the way, man, he's headed to MVP year. Oh, he is. But it, if he stays healthy, he's going to be MVP. The point I was going to make about the top 10 
is that eight of the top ten teams are all undefeated. Well, we know that's not going to hold up. But I'm not being paranoid here. Alabama had a big win against A&M. You know, the big, the beating Ole Miss, a ranked team, was big. And then beating Arkansas, holding them off. But Alabama has not moved a notch since then. Do you find that a little odd? In the AP poll now, they went up in the coaches' poll. But I don't think they've moved since uh, they lost to Texas. And they've won five in a row. Is that odd? Uh, it's just they haven't done it in an impressive fashion. You oh, know, I think and, Texas and, and, and was a pretty impressive win. Uh, I yeah. think what was odd to me was how after the Red River uh, showdown shootout, it I don't think Texas got dropped uh, far enough. I think they should have went past us or right in front of us, if anything, not to, I think, seven after that week. So I just I think the national perception of Alabama has taken a big hit. And I it wasn't even as much the Texas game as it was the South Florida game. I mean, and that could be a factor if it comes down to uh, Alabama and, and another team for that fourth and final slot in the playoffs. Because they're going to people, they are people, are, I'm telling you, that South Florida game could really haunt Alabama. And, uh, in the, the, the coaching decisions and everything that went into that disaster of a game. Um, even though Alabama ends up winning it, it was, uh, it was the least impressive win, I think, of the Nick Saban era. And, uh, in, so the, 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 the perception of Alabama from the writers around the country is not real great. And that is being, no. reflected, it's, it's reflected in the polls. I mean, and I, I don't think that's necessarily inaccurate. Do you? Yeah, I think it is. But, uh, where, where would you have Alabama right now? Uh, I'd have them at least 10th, you know, and I know it's only up one slot, but that means a lot in the reader's eyes. Um, and I know you can't really put them above Texas because Texas beat them, but a lot of this is going to sort out and one of them will sort out this weekend. Ohio State's playing Penn State. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got a few others that will, uh, Michigan will eventually play Ohio State. Ohio State's playing Penn State. Um, you know, North Carolina still got a couple of tough games in, but you know, they could be a real interesting, uh, selection here if they went out. You know, they'd have to beat Florida State eventually. They'd beat Florida State. They deserve to be. It's kind of wacky. At the beginning of the season, we all looked and there were four pretty obvious choices. Now, how many think are up there that could make it? Twelve? Yeah, I wish we had the expanded playoffs this year. I just, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I look at this, the more we analyze it, I think it's going to be harder rather than easier for Alabama to get in. They're going to need some help, even if they do end up winning uh, the SEC championship. Really? It just seems, it seems so mind-boggling to think about the winner of the SEC not making the championship. Well, what, okay, well, let's just, let's just play this out here. Washington runs the table. They win the Pac-12. They are in. Let's say Texas gets another shot at Oklahoma. 
They I don't need to have it explained to me. I just said it was mind-boggling that it could happen. I can figure out how it could happen. I don't mean to be stepping on your toes there, but we got to get out of here. Um, so, Lars, thank you. And thank you to uh, Andy Kennedy and to Jeff Spiegel. We'll do this again in 22 hours. Marketing your business today 